This is Subversive, a podcast hosted by me, Alex Kashuta, to highlight hidden voices, uncommon perspectives, and our era's true intellectual elite, the anonymous poster. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Substack, Patreon, or PayPal. Thank you and enjoy. Today, I am joined by the wonderful Peachy Keenan. Um, he, she is a writer, uh, a contributor at The American Mind, and the author of the upcoming book, Domestic Extremist. Welcome, Peachy. Thank you. How are you, Alex? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for, for joining me. My pleasure. Um, I, know, I know you're busy. <laughs> I know you're busy because um, you are a, um, you know, a prolific writer, wonderful writer, a witty writer, a, a great writer. But uh, you're also a mother of many, which is, you know, a, a rare thing these days. And um, the, the title of your book also kind of sounds like a, a bit of a, a call to girl boss jihad, where, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's something you're, you're summoning forces that have been dormant in our culture. And now I think you're, you're a very good voice to bring them forth because you um, walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk because that's a big problem on the internet. People love to, to talk about stuff they have no idea about. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really happy that you're here to to represent and make the case for domestic extremism because, you know, I'm I'm probably a, a lesser convert to the to the faith and I don't have as many uh, badges as you have in, in more <laughs> ways than one. But uh, I'm glad to that we can you know listen to some bits of wisdom from someone who's who's been there. <laughs> oh well, thank you. Well, um, I first wanted to ask you, I mean, this, this has been kind of like a, a question floating in, in, on the interwebs recently. And, you know, obviously it started from a Justin Murphy tweet, as many, many illuminating discussions <laughs> do. Um, but it was just about, you know, he, he was just saying, OK, I didn't expect being the father of a, of a young child to be to be so hard. Uh, you know, nothing really prepares you for it. It's been it's been very hard, unexpectedly hard. Then he gestures to the fact that he can't, you know, smoke weed with his friends. And that kind of, you know, made the tweet go viral because it sounded like a very lame, lame thing. Uh, but th there is something to it um, because I feel like, you know, there, there's two very polarized perspectives here, especially on kind of the dissident right. It's either, you know, motherhood and being a father is just all, you know, you're, you're going through wheat fields and, and baking sourdough and it's all just absolutely glorious and it's the culmination of your life and it's just all perfect perfection. If you don't do it perfectly when, when it should be done, you're messed up completely. And obviously, on the other hand, we have mainstream, you know, essentially Satanism where children are <laughs> just, you know, disposable uh, time sucks and uh, you, you shouldn't have them because, you know, why would you? So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, what, what do you make of this? What's, what's the middle ground or what's, what, what is it in your experience? Is it understandable that people, um, you know, are maybe shocked by how hard it can be? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, yes, it is hard. There are moments where you're like, you know, why did I do this? <laughs> Am I crazy? Like, what, what the hell was I thinking? You know, this morning I was like, you know, had a, a sink full of pots and pans. And I was like, you know, cursing my life, <laughs> but that's just par for the course. And I, I mean, in my experience, the people I've met, the mothers I've met who seem to, to, to find it 
parenting more difficult, who seem to find it just this unbelievable burden, who the ones who, you know, at the playground who just never stop whining and complaining about, oh, how do you, oh my gosh, they seem to be the ones who, um, it's really a mindset thing. So they, they seem to be the ones who live their life one foot in parenting, but still one foot out in their pre-parenting existence. And so every day they're sort of longing for this, you know, Edenic paradise that they had before they became a parent where they could just do whatever they wanted. And life was just at, was walking through the, the meadows, <laughs> glorious freedom. And now they find themselves, you know, unable to have that lifestyle. And so that's just this constant tension in their, in their heart and in their brain. What do I do? How do I get back to that state? And these are the women who, you know, in my experience, who will be inviting me to girls night out and going on couples only vacations and just, you know, have the kids in their, um, in, in camp over Christmas break all summer, just whatever, whatever they can do to rid themselves of these unbelievable burdens. And I, so I think the women I know who are the opposite of that, who are, you know, it's like, I, I do call them domestic extremists. Um, they're the ones who just in their minds have decided, no, that all the burden, that's a feature, not a bug. That's why I'm doing this. That is some sort it, they treat it like, not a part-time job that that they hate, but as a as a vocation, as a calling, as this unbelievable sacrificial love that the more you put in, the more you get out. And they seem, I mean, they struggle just like all of us with the housework and the laundry and all the, you know, all the annoying schlepping that goes into it. Of course, you know, they're human beings, but they just approach it differently. And so I've tried to model myself a little bit after some of them who don't complain at the playground, or if they do, it, it's about things that are, that are not, not calling into question all their life choices. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like that's kind of reflects my experience as well. I, I made a decision early on. I mean, early on, I you know, had a child pretty late, so it wasn't, it wasn't that early in my life, but early on before having my child, that that's kind of the, the perspective that I'm going to try to embody that, you know, this is, um, this is a completely new stage. This, you know, will come with its own things. You know, all of the things that we're going to have to go through because there are there are steps in the journey of having children, and you know, when especially while they're little, they're very hard. And you know, it's not really a secret. Uh, you can't say that people don't know that there's going to be sleepless nights. And what's you know, you can look up what sleeplessness does to you. It's pretty intense. Um, you know, it's 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 normal and you just kind of have to accept that and go with the flow and, and yeah, make your peace with the fact that, you know, the travel is not going to be a thing <laughs> for a while or, <laughs> you know, there's going to be like very extreme quiet time, girls night, especially, you know, it's not, not really. Um, so I think that that's been a really good perspective for me, but I can, I can see from the perspective of someone like Justin, cause he's kind of speaking as a dad. Um, he also mentions the fact that, um, financial pressures increased a lot and that that was a really big burden on his, on his mind. I do think like for, for men, it might be a bit different because, you know, I, I'm just bathed in hormones, you know, with my little baby <laughs> and we're just together. He's feeding all the time and we're cuddling and Aww. stuff like that. And, you know, I, it's, you know, it's hard and, you know, baby's crying. It's annoying sometimes I have to admit, but it's, it's a kind of a different experience, especially while the baby's really little. And he was saying, you know, about the first year, um, and my husband, I can imagine he's out there, you know, just, you know, panicking, trying to make sure that everything's working in the outside world. 
Uh, and then obviously he's thinking, shit, I need to make more money. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, I can, I can imagine that that's, I don't know, more stressful. I don't know. I really didn't think about money the, the first year. But also I was lucky because I had savings and I didn't need to think about money and I could get all the, you know, weird, useless baby gadgets that no one, no one needed. Uh, and it was okay. Uh, but I can imagine that I probably would have thought about money more if, um, if it really was a problem. Yeah. I mean, I think if, um, you know, if money is your, if making the most money or having the most disposable money is your main priority in life, then yeah, you probably shouldn't have children. You should probably be, um, you know, dinks, the double income, no kids, live the child-free lifestyle. Great. You know, like obviously there is a financial sacrifice. You know, I'm just <laughs> trying to finish my Christmas shopping <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> these, these things, these Christmas lists, they really, they really add up. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to just, again, it's a mindset thing. So you have to decide, well, what is, what, what do you want to be rich in? And so, yes, I, you know, at one point I, um, when I got pregnant with my last baby, I gave up a, very healthy salary with so un, unbelievable corporate perks, um, you know, six figures. I gave it up because I just could not bear to, I would not leave my baby. There was just, that was not going to happen. And we were going to just take the hit. And um, that is just a sacrifice to me. It was not a sacrifice. It was like a pleasure to be able to, okay, we're going to have to minimum, you know, minimize things. We're going to have to budget. We're going to have to figure out a new way in order for us to have this wonderful experience of me not having to leave my baby. And so it's, um, yeah, I mean, if money is the number one thing, and obviously there's pressure in life, especially now in the economy, but I mean, the children don't need, I don't know. I think people go into it thinking they need all those baby things. They need, the $60,000 private school, they need, you know, thousands of dollars worth of bugaboo strollers and whatever. They really don't. I mean, babies are the cheapest stage of child. <laughs> you know, they eat from your body. They, you need diapers. Yeah. But they don't need really toys and they <laughs> swaddling clothes. You know, this it's pretty simple. They do get more expensive in the teenage years, obviously, <laughs> but I mean, you have to decide what you want to be rich in. And you know, uh, if we didn't have all these kids, I would probably be taking, you know, I'd have a lot more rings on my fingers and be taking, be driving a fancier car. But I just feel like that is a sacrifice that I, you know, I would never choose differently. I feel so rich and blessed in these um, wonderful kids who they, yes, they drive me crazy sometimes, but I just, at the end of the day, I'm just so grateful that I somehow, by the skin of my teeth, Alex, uh, was able to achieve this family size. And I started not young and I'm just grateful and just, you know, it is what it is. At the end of the day, you're dead and whatever, whatever jewelry you accumulated or your fancy vacations are just gone anyway. No, that's, that's, that's an, you know, an incredible perspective. Um, in, and uh, I mean, I won't say that my case is comparable, but I, you know, I personally didn't, necessarily think beyond my 20s. I didn't necessarily think I would still be alive beyond my 20s and make any plans. I was very, very nihilistic. Same. Me too. Um, yeah, it just, it didn't, it didn't make sense. You know, life was for pleasure, consuming, you know, achieving things in the, mm -hmm. as, as, you know, playing your cards as they lay and getting to whatever spot. And That's then right. next, what, what next, you know, 
Sex and the City is next. I mean, they're old. You can just keep on going, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't very clear. So, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was very, um, I don't know, very kind of a mix of wishful thinking and, and kind of closing your eyes and hoping, I guess, I don't know, for, for a sudden accident when you were 30 and then it, it would be a lights out and you didn't have to worry about it. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, um, there was, I, I remember I saw this, um, there's a thread on Twitter and I thought it was really insightful because, um, they're saying something like, you know, a lot of large families tend to homeschool and they're saying it's not necessarily because they're Christian, but because also, um, of the fact that the, the children it's, you know, you have, let's say you have a family of, I don't know, six, seven, eight, like a larger family. Um, and then, you know, you're, you have enough money obviously to, feed and clothe and shelter the children, but you don't have the the amount of money that people nowadays with only children, maybe two children, spend on so-called kind of display spending where, you know, they get the Air Jordan, they get the I whatever products and all this mm-hmm. keep up with a certain social group that they're, that they're embedded into. Um, and, you know, the person describing this, I really don't remember who it was, but I thought it was pretty insightful. It was like, okay, you can kind of, you, you can make an idyllic larger family work if you build this bubble of your family where, you know, all, all of that stuff doesn't really matter that much. Um, I mean, obviously I don't have a large family, but you do. I, I wonder what you make of this, uh, this sinking. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I would have friends who would base their family size on, you know, how many car seats they could fit in their Range Rover. You know, that would be the limiting uh, factor for their family. And yeah, and how much private school is. Well, I, I can send one to private. I can send two. I can't send three. I mean, who right now, of course, who can even send two? It's 60000 a year in Los Angeles for private, and the privates are horrible. Um, but yeah, you for, for homeschooling, it is a great uh, release valve for your budget. And it, it enables you to have three, four, five, whatever you want, and not have to spend whatever it is, and not have to send them to public school, which is, you know... Free, yeah, but 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 really awful. These are just mini prisons um, in each in our neighborhoods that everyone <laughs> avoids their local public school like the plague. Like you don't even walk past it. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, homeschooling is just a, it's really an unbelievable option. I I obviously know many moms who homeschool the younger kids. Most of them by high school or middle school do put them in uh, school, but it lets them have these sort of elementary school students at home with them, which is obviously, which is where kids want to be mostly. And, you know, with their mom at home and they're learning and these kids are actually, they are learning, they're reading, they're, they're doing more than you would do in a, in a public school where, I mean, in third grade in LA, you're probably learning, you know, that you're not really a boy and, you know, uh, here's a drag queen. And combat. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Hey, take a knife to the bathroom to protect yourself. Um, but these are kids, they're learning, they're learning prayers, they're learning catechism, they're reading, you know, books, they're, they're learning some Latin, they're learning math. Um, it obviously depends on the mother's, you know, time and how much she wants to put into it. You don't have to do all that. There's ways to do it that are sort of more unschooling. There's a million ways to homeschool. It is wonderful. And it has saved many families who are like, well, this is the only way. I can have six children, whatever that, whatever it is, by homeschooling the little ones myself. Now, for me personally, I am not a homeschooler. I did try homeschooling one year, um, 
but I, for me, it just, it didn't really work because I, I had a newborn and like a three-year-old and like a four-year-old. And it was just like, and I was sort of, you know, work freelancing as a freelance writer. And I was like, okay, how do I, I didn't grow up with this. Like I just, for me, it didn't work. And it just required a lot of like, come here over here. I just didn't know what I was doing. So, but we were very lucky. We had access to a really wonderful classical elementary school. And so that's where they ended up going and they're doing a wonderful job better than I ever could do. But I do know so many women who have really learned how to become um, homeschool teachers for their children. And these kids are great. And they're they They go to park play dates. You know, the whole myth of you can't homeschool. They'll never be socialized. A, I don't want my children socialized by other kids. <laughs> Most of the other kids I see around. Okay. Number one. And number two, they're they're hanging out with their friends constantly, like every day, weekends, play dates, field trips. These kids have a better social life than me. That's excellent. Um, I think that's also, I guess there there are around homeschooling, there are different groups or kind of meta, like looser uh, arrangements there. Because um, I, to be honest, I was thinking about, you know, maybe this is really not a thing here. It really is to kind of like a maybe more extreme religious people rarely do this. So it's, it's essentially an import from, from the U.S. as well. So oh, wow, really? yeah, any sort of mm. curricula or whatever I'd, I'd have to use, it would be some sort of either American or I don't know, <laughs> I'll have to figure it out. Um, and that's, that's kind of the only issue. The good part here is that um, there are, there's a lot of private schools, um, which are not bad. They're not expensive if you're earning, you know, foreign currency, which luckily me and my husband are. And then, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, the purchasing power is quite, you know, in, in our favor here. So, um, it's, it's, I mean, the, the, the really, really fancy ones, there are like, there's a, like an international school and it's all in English, which is not what I want for my child because we're hmm. speaking English at home anyway. He'll be completely, you know, functionally retarded by the time he has to go speak <laughs> Romanian. So no, we need something in Romanian, but there right. are, you know, you could spend like, maximum like 6,000 euros a year to, you know, send your ch- kid to kindergarten. That's kind of the upper price level if you that's, really want to go that's all That's not out. terrible. No, yeah. That's like the best place apparently where all the rich people send their kids. You know, that's kind of where, where it tops out. A decent one would be at about like 3,000 euros uh, a year where, where they get fed, you know, they, you know, they, you know, have like sleep time, play time. You get like an app where they show you what they're doing and, you know, they don't. Oh, wow. It's quite, it's quite good. You know, you get little pictures. I saw it. A friend of mine has a child in kindergarten and I'm now shopping around to see, you know, what, what kindergarten will look like for my son. And she's like, look at this, you know, they have the menu, how many calories are in the, in the food. I'm like, okay, oh, you know, are they, <laughs> I have to say they have a seed oil check there. Cause then I'm so yeah, right. Yeah. Right. That's what you need. Any, are there xenoestrogens in their water? Oh, exactly. At the I mean, I'm sure there are microplastics in the, in yep. the building. Yeah, it's um, yeah, that's but there, there are options, and I think that's probably going to be more like it because I just feel like for us, it's probably going to be the socialization will be a problem just because there's literally no one else doing this, and you know, you know, if if you're kind of freakish as a, as a homeschooler in a place where people know about homeschooling, you, you're going to be like totally out there if it's a place that no one ever has heard of homeschooling and you're like, what, what's, what's happened to you? Have you lived in a bunker or something? So 
yeah, I think we, we still have about a year to go until kindergarten is even a thing, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm shopping around and yeah, that's, <laughs> that's been on my mind recently. Yeah. It's hard if you're living sort of isolated and if you're like a pioneer, if you're no one else around you is doing the things you're doing, it, it is isolating. And it's like, you kind of long f- to be closer to, you know, people who are like-minded. I mean, in LA, we actually moved from a kind of like uh, a very crowded urban neighborhood, but it was really a spiritual desert for us. There was just, we were just, you know, we had to like hide our, <laughs> we were living in enemy territory for sure. And even at, even at church, we were at outcasts, you know, we were the, we went to this uh, local Catholic school and we were the only, uh, we'd be the only school family in mass every Sunday. I mean, the only ones, not a single other child that we knew from the school would ever set foot in the mass. <laughs> and it was really a very like, you know, a very liberal church, but they just, they were not, not doing it. So we eventually um, moved um, about an hour away to uh, a community that had a lot more, 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 more people sort of like-minded. So we were, we were now we weren't just like these solo pioneers alone on the prairie. We were now in like a wagon train. We could sort of circle the wagons, you know, and have all our kids sort of, you know, they were, they are now living a very free and and happy life. And they have all these great friends and great families that we know and um, we, we trust. And that's really the hardest thing with school is that no matter how much you vet a school, no matter you meet the principal, you talk to the teacher, it's really the other kids who are going to be... <laughs> you know, hell is other children, really. <laughs> and <laughs> you don't know what those children are bringing into the class. Like, what are they looking at on their phones at home? And a lot of these kids that you encounter in, in real life are, you know, eight, nine years old. They have phones in their pocket. And I remember one, we were at some school fair, actually at a Catholic school one night. And my son was probably four or five, and he was with his friend four or five running around. And an older kid came up to them and showed them pornography on his phone at the Catholic school fair. So, you know, you can never fully keep it away no matter what. And you just have to be sure that wherever, if the, the other kids in that classroom, you know, are they, what are their, what are their families like? What are, what are their rules? And if yours are very different, or if you, um, you know, if they go to that kid's house for a, for a play date and, they're talking about all kinds of things. You know, you have to be careful. It's it's really it's really so difficult. I remember once my daughter was in preschool, and she had a little preschool friend. They were probably four, three or four years old, maybe four and a half. Maybe it was like pre K. I don't remember. Too long ago. And she came home from the from the play date, and the mother was some sort of like new age doula, and that was probably the first red flag. And my daughter came home and started telling me all about how babies were made in very graphic uh, terms. And so this woman had decided to take it upon herself to uh, educate my four-year-old into, you know, very frank discussions of women's bodies and what happens. And I was like, huh, well, there goes play dates. <laughs> but peace, it's, it's all natural, you know, it's, it's all part of nature. The children, the children know they, they're, they're innocent. They, it's, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a an interesting angle that people always take. Like, why, why do you want to, to hide this beautiful um, aspect of, of human nature <laughs> 
um, it's it's pure. Your your you know your your terrible <laughs> um, repressed imagination is adding adding darkness to it where it doesn't need to be. You know, it's it's all like um, Escape to the Blue Lagoon or what's that movie? You know, it's it's all innocence and and beauty. Though, <laughs> as mothers, it's a bit hard to buy this line, but it, it does kind of crop up everywhere. It feels. Yeah, that's so true. I was just re- saw an interview somewhere where. I forget her name. She's some like uh, kind of has been actress. She's married to this ABC News guy, George Stephanopoulos. He hosts Good Morning America. He was, you know, in the Clinton White House, um, little George. He's married. Her name's Alec. Is it Alexandra something? No, Ali something. Anyway, she's has teenage daughters. And in the interview, she was talking about how she watches hardcore pornography with her teenage daughters in order to help them understand that, you know, this isn't really realistic. And she wants to educate them on how to watch pornography with a critical, <laughs> critical <laughs> eye. And I was just thinking to myself, like, yeah, I, I'm doing things a little bit differently, I guess. <laughs> like, I'm the extremist. But these yeah. people are just there. That's how you should do it. You know, it's fine. It's great. Yeah, it's, it's this idea that you can essentially subject yourself to any sort of meme or any sort of, you know, visually, you know, possessing demon, if you have <laughs> enough information, if there's a disclaimer, if you, if you take a GDPR box before you enter the site or whatever, you know, bureaucracy people want to apply to you, if, if you're informed, uh, you can essentially, you know, pledge your soul to Satan, you know, just, you know, sign on dotted line twice to make sure that you understand what uh, what it implies, and and you know you've been informed. It's all good. Uh, consent is all you need, um, and uh, it's not going to affect you. And I, I do feel like this is kind of this you know scientific view. And I've I've had I don't know if you're familiar with, with Michael Bailey. He's one of the uh, the, the bigger proponents of this uh, autogynephilia theory, and you know very hated by the transgender community. Um, and and I love he him had, already. Yeah. <laughs> he's, He's great. Um, but he kind of had this, you know, angle. It's probably the only point I didn't really agree with him on. And I, it's just a, it's just a complete difference of perspective. Like the idea that, you know, you can neutrally study things um, and that's not essentially going to affect you or the thing that you study. Um, and I know this sounds very postmodernist, you know, it's all kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> of blending into each other. But um you know, because he's a sex researcher and we were talking about pedophilia and he kind of has this perspective that, you know, we need to be, you know, kind of cold and, and analyze pedophilia from kind of a cold angle. And to me, it feels yeah. like, um, you know, because I mean, he sees pedophiles as kind of victims of, you know, a mental disorder. Um, and he feels that, you know, by demonizing pedophilia to the degree and, you know, by being shrieking and, and obsessive about pedophilia, because he feels like both the left and the right are in, in their own ways shrieking and obsessive about pedophilia. And, you know, in some ways I agree. Um, he feels that that does a disservice to the study and to the fighting of, you know, pedophilia and, and exactly how it manifests in the world. But I don't think so <laughs> in the sense that, you know, th- there is something about these memes. Like once you put them out there and once you say, oh, you know, you know, poor, poor person, it's just a, it's just a problem. You do, you kind of take away the layer of evil from these things and I feel like that's that's dangerous because on the one hand, obviously, as a scientist, I understand why you might want to do that. You want to be cold clinical and calculating how you look at these things. But there is danger in that because, you know, like I said, I don't believe these things 
can be looked at neutrally. I feel like they have a mind of their own. And you, like you see with, with transgenderism, I mean, there were cross-dressers 20, 30 years ago. There were like minor phenomena and, you know, it was a, a strange, um, like paraphilia kink for some, some people. Now it is essentially a, 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 a psychosis. Uh, and it's all due to the fact that, you know, it's, it's not shameful anymore. It's not in the closet. There's no kind of, I don't know. It's, it's not low no status and weird. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's been, yeah, exactly. It's been destigmatized and, and essentially kind of that's, that's what Michael was adver- not advocating. He was like, okay, it kind of needs to be destigmatized so that we can look at it in a, you know, in a cold way. But like I said, I don't necessarily think that's wise. I don't know. What do you think about this? Yeah. That's like someone saying, well, I'm doing my PhD, my PhD thesis on, on, um, child pornography. And so I'll just be watching, you know, 10 hours a day of child pornography just to make my notes. It's like, well, no, there's something, <laughs> there's something else going on here. If that's what you want to spend your time looking at to, you know, write your, write your, you know, coldly with cold detachment, you can't, you can't really be detached. You're, you're going to be, um, it's going to do something bad to you. Um, yes, these demonic forces are boxes that you should not open. I think that even, I mean, I would never even want to see images of pedophilia or child pornography because I feel like, I mean, A, I'd probably want to kill myself if I saw them, but it, it would introduce some kind of poison into my my brain that I just honestly, like my imagination is enough. I don't want to see it. I would be too upset. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's like with, with, with the autogynephiliacs, you know, I, from doing research, most of them or some of them became that way from looking at sissy porn and they're kind of sissy porn addicts. And, uh, I have, you know, there was some Reddit thread someone sent me a while ago about men who are addicted to sissy porn, which is like forced feminization where they're, you know, they're forced to dress up as women and be dominated by men. And then who then like rape them. I don't know. I don't really understand it. Um, and I have not looked at it (laughs) to be clear, but they are, they were on this Reddit thread basically saying, I'm addicted. I don't want to be addicted to this. I hate it. I hate myself for, for wanting to watch this sort of like, um, like a, it was like a drug. It was like this, they couldn't stop. And I think that, you know, child porn ad addiction is probably similar, but yeah, there, there is no way to hold this stuff at arm's length. I don't think you're either going to be, it's either going to suck you in and kind of like infect you with the zombie, make you another zombie, whatever they are, or it's going to just disgust you and horrify you. And, you know, I I think I'd be just so upset seeing it. So yeah, I have to say Michael Bailey is a little bit wrong here. And, you know, we might need a browser history check on him. (laughs) I'm sure. I mean, for science, you know, he'll get maybe a little dispensation. I'm sure he's looking at some (laughs) some weird stuff. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, I I don't know. Maybe the whole field of of sex research needs reevaluation. We Um, don't need to research it. Like if you know where it is, let's just like tell the the drone operators and take it out. Like, you know what I mean? I don't need a paper telling me it's bad. We just need to like have it destroyed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, that's an important insight that I think, you know, kind of the new right has accepted. Um, we don't necessarily need to rationalize everyone, each one of our positions. It's fine to hold things on on instinct, gut feeling, and just you know the fact that it emerges out of your um, Christian consciousness, and it's enough. Um, so yeah, that's 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 really useful. Um, there there was a 
Yeah, there was another thing that just kind of popped to my head, but it was just, it was beating the same the same drum. Um, yeah, I mean, I I want to go a little bit through because you know I'm going on the Amazon page. The book is not out yet. The book is called the domestic uh, domestic extremist, um, but it contains a manifesto. And I want to go through some of the points in the manifesto <laughs> because I think you know I, I agree with them and I think it's it's great. And maybe you can shed some light on them. So the domestic extremist manifesto. In this house, you believe, which <laughs> this is how you should start any sort of manifesto nowadays. People <laughs> know that you're meaning business. Um, parents are the bosses of their kids. I mean, let's start with that, this one. Like, uh, what do you mean? Aren't they perfect little, you know, units of, of consciousness? That's right. They're autonomous beings from day one. They tell you what they want all the time. Yeah, by that, you know, parental authority has been just completely uh, thrown onto the bonfire along with everything else good that we've thrown away. I took my, when I was pregnant with my first baby, we took this, you know, child, child, uh, caring class that taught you how to diaper the baby. Cause I didn't, I had never even held a baby, you know, since my youngest sister was a baby, I had no access to babies in my life. I didn't, wasn't a baby person. So I had like, really didn't know how to do any of this stuff, bathe Same the here. baby, make sure its head doesn't go under the water, you know, all the things. and this one uh, pregnant lady stood up and asked the teacher, well, what about um, diaper free by three? Like, have you, can you tell us about that? And the teacher was like, what do you mean? You mean how to make them diaper free by, by the time they're three years old? And the woman said, no, 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 no. You know, the new, the new trend, diaper free by three weeks, where you let the baby tell you it has to go to the bathroom. Ah. And then you hold the newborn over the potty and it goes to the pot because you've been, you've been, yeah, you've learned its cues when it has to go, you know, poo poo or pee pee. And yeah. you're just that kind of attentive parent. I mean, by three weeks, whose baby isn't out of diapers? And everyone in the class was just looking at each other. And the teacher was like, um, yeah, I don't know what that is. And good luck with that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's also called elimination communication. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> I've learned about this recently. I, I have not applied this technique, but you know, if, if it works, yeah, so parents are the boss and I think, you know, you have to you have to just, you know, there's going to be tears. There's going to be crying no matter what. When you you can you know, the kid will want ice cream for breakfast and you'll say, "No, honey, we're having pancakes." And they'll cry. And that's just yeah. what's going to happen. And like some parents will say, "I don't know how to they're still in diapers. I don't know what to do." I'm like, "Well, they'll they'll be potty trained when you decide." they're going to be potty trained. And that's just it. You just have to just literally rip off that diaper and they're running around and they're going to figure it out. Now you have to do it the right age. You don't do it too young. You definitely don't do it at three weeks. Like that's insane. You know, by the time they're, you know, between two and three at some point, you can do it. You, you got to be the boss. And that's hard for people. Oh yeah. You know, their parents maybe have abdicated that job a little bit. They didn't have a great role model. Maybe when they're growing up, I know that like, you know, millennials and Gen Z, like, they're kind of still consider themselves to be like, quote, adulting in quotes, you know, um, the kid adults who buy all the toys, they have a whole lines of toys now for kid adults, you know, and but when you get that baby, it's like, no, now that's you're now now you're the dad, you're the mom, and you just sort of have to figure out that role. And a lot of them aren't figuring it out. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it is it is really hard, especially because, yeah, like you said, there's not really any training. Like I also, the only contact I've had with babies is when, when I had one of my own and I kind of had to, I, I think I've, I know the, the lady at the, at the, um, at the birthing center, 
showed me because she just gave me a diaper and was waiting for me to do it. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, so I was really embarrassed. I was like, well, I'm sorry. I know you do like 17 of these a day, but I, I need Please to show go. me. Please. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and about being the boss, this is literally a skill I am learning, um, on the job as, as of today, like my child, like maybe, maybe less than a month ago entered the perma tantrum stage. He is a, an octopus <laughs> of death. He's just arriving, <laughs> wrestling with us, constantly wanting ice cream chips. Like we made the mistake of, of, you know, giving him like, ah, you know, give him a little chip to see what it's like. Okay. It turned into psychosis. It's, <laughs> it's like, you know, he wakes up in the morning. First thing he says to me is optim, which essentially means ice cream. Optim, 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 optim. Okay. I understand. I know you want ice cream. I'm not going to get it. So, you know, um, holding my boundaries has been, you know, my challenge in the last few days or last few weeks. Um, and he's, you know, he's very, very strong willed. And I, I appreciate that quality in him and he's great, but yeah, well, we're, everyone's learning on the job at the moment. So yeah, yeah. that's the way you do it. I mean, there is no way to teach you because everyone's child is different. Every parent is different. So you just have to figure out what is, what dynamic is going to work. Um, and you know, what I I tell my kids when they get mad at me for saying no to something or, you know, I say, listen, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't care. You could eat whatever you want. You could do whatever you want. You could look at TikTok all day. If I if I didn't like you, I didn't care about you. Yeah, that, that that's how I would parent you because they perceive it as you don't like me. You're mean. It's like no, because I love you so very much. I am putting myself in the pain box, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go through this pain of you whining and complaining and tantruming, and it's gonna suck. Like it's the worst part, you know. And they're unhappy, and you're unhappy. But you you have to do it. And the parent who wants to be liked, you know, wants to not wants to not deal with that. They do create these little Lord Fauntleroys. You know, they do create the child who gets everything on demand. Now we've all been in a situation where you're somewhere public. You just have to shut them up for a second. Take this. Just sh- you know, we're on a plane. Like yes, there's always those moments where you just have to just bribe them. Obviously, but in general, you want to be able to. Hold hold fast to those limits because guess what? They're going to come in handy when they're when they're older, especially if you have a strong-willed boy, which is great that you want a strong-willed boy. He's just expressing his, you know, toxic masculinity, Alex. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I'm thinking like, you know, I kind of like it, but not with me. Just give it another yeah. 18 years and then we'll set you loose on the world and you can have your like Nietzschean fantasy or whatever you're trying <laughs> right. to live out. He'll but- dominate that ice cream. Exactly. <laughs> Make the best goddamn ice cream in the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get over this hump for sure. Um, the, the next point on the manifesto is babies are good. More babies are better. I mean, I think this one's, you know, kind of self-explanatory. Uh, we're all in the, in the baby camp. We all want more babies. Um, yeah, I mean, you've, you've managed to, to have a, a, a large family um, I'm not going to ask you how many children. I know there are many, but uh, you know, never, never add doxing information into these podcasts. Is an important thing here at the Subversive Podcast. So, somewhere knock- between between four and seven. Perfect. Not that, not that <laughs> many. Exactly. The, the, I mean, that's that's plenty. Believe me. Um, and and you're doing a great job with that. And uh, I mean, I feel like that's that's self-explanatory. Um, dating is for suckers. That's an interesting one because <laughs> there's a lot of dating discourse. And you know, why shouldn't we date? Why shouldn't we you know get get to know each other? 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, like you, I did not understand that in my 20s. My 20s were, you know, like many of us, uh, Sex in the City, you know, which damaged more women than any any show ever. Uh, that was just what you did. You went through your 20s. You would never settle down. You wanted to be out. You wanted to be dating. You wanted to be, you know, looking around for the cute boys and marriage and all that stuff was just not even a thing. I mean, that was just, well, maybe one day it'll happen. Probably. Who cares? You know, what are, what are we doing tonight? Where are we going? You know, that was basically it. What am I wearing? Um, but dating uh, has always seemed to me so stupid because <clears throat> once I finally met my husband and we got married, I was like, wait, OK, so now my life starts. How dumb. Like, <clears throat> wouldn't it have been so awesome if this all could have been happening like, you know, five, six years ago and we could have gone through I could have gone through all this stuff with him. You know, that would have been so fun. And I would have would have saved yourself all this, you know, angst and, you know, are you lonely? Did you break up? Do you like him? All this, all this drama and bullshit that really <clears throat> is a total waste of time if you're not with someone that you want to marry or you're not even thinking about marriage. Like, you know, I used to call it operation marriage material. How do you change yourself from this like party girl, like just, you know, career person, like going out with your friends after work to someone who is marriageable and to make that shift to that. Okay. I don't just want to be some chick at the karaoke bar, you know, who's like hammered and whatever you want to be someone who someone can look at you and say, Oh, you know what? That woman could be the mother of my children. You know what I mean? And you can't, you have to sort of change how you're doing stuff. And so, and here's the proof in the, that's in the pudding is that just recently, actually, just in the last few weeks, um, I have a teenage son and, um, he, you know, has a sort of very, you know, beginnings of a little friendship with a girl. And I was talking to the girl's mom and we were both agreed that like, you know, there's no dating. We don't want them to date in high school. That whole mentality of who do you like? Who's your crush? Which starts for my kids started in preschool. Just, you know, do they have a crush on uh, their little three-year-old? I'm like, no, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to sexualize your kids so early into the dating mindset. And once you get on the, the track of dating, it goes forever and you date for 20 years. And then, you know, what happens to you? So dating is stupid because what you really should be doing is looking for a spouse or a life partner, whatever you want to call it. Um, so everyone you date, you know, don't want people waste their time and they just think, oh, well, this will be fun for tonight or the week or whatever. And there's no point to it. And so my anyway, my son's um, his little new girlfriend's mom and I were both agreed, like, if this is it for them, that's it. Like, we're not interested in our in our children, you know, dating multiple people for the, their 20s and then eventually settling down. Like, absolutely not. You know, these are good Catholic kids. And honestly, the sooner the sooner they like find their quote, whatever soulmate, I, I'm totally fine with that. Like. I think it would be really amazing if the proof is in the pudding with my children actually becoming domestic extremists at an early age versus me, you know, having to kind of claw my way out of feminism and do it the hard way. How beautiful would it be if somehow my children find these um, these these spouses young and just I can't think of anything better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, have you seen any, any signs that that might be, might be pointing that way or any things to worry about or? 
No, I mean, it's, you know, they're very young, so we'll see. But like all the all the right ingredients are there. And, you know, other other kid, other friends of theirs are kind of all feeling the same way. And I just sometimes I think to myself, like I went to a wedding <clears throat> last summer of a couple who met in college and graduated and got married like that. They had just graduated from college and they were both like 21, 20. I think he was 22 and, you know, had been practicing chastity and all that stuff. And I'm just just trying to imagine, like imagine a girl who has totally avoided like heartbreak, uh, you know, devastating heartbreak, longing for a boy, like loneliness, um, being promiscuous, being used, being ghosted. Like imagine a young woman who has never had to experience any of that stuff. Like it's almost like almost too good to be true. Like, isn't that part of the modern female experience to be, to be ghosted and to, you know, have, you know, having sex with as many, you know, have a, as high a body count as you can possibly get. That's a good thing. Imagine like not doing that. <laughs> like imagine, and just what a, what a different life experience they're going to have with this, with this spouse soulmate starting when they're in their early twenties, all the way through like a loving monogamous lifelong without any of the pain and suffering that some of us had to go through to find our spouses. I mean, it's just kind of like, wow, like you can do that. Like that's allowed. And like it is, and it's quite shocking and a little bit devastating for me because I, I just think I, I do, I was never given the choice, you know, like to have that experience and what I have, I, maybe I wouldn't have met my husband. It all worked out great in the end. Everything's great. You know, I had a lot of fun, believe me. But like, wow, I just, I sort of missed out on this sort of almost romantic ideal. Maybe I'm idealizing it. You know, maybe the reality is worse. I don't know. I didn't have that lifestyle, that experience of falling in love in my early 20s and getting engaged young and having that, having that, um, you know, uh, spouse with me through my 20s into my 30s. But just, it is like, it's like almost like a dream that that could be the reality for some women if they just, you know, pull themselves out of the the trash heap of feminism. Yeah. I think, you know, what, what would be shocking about this vision that you just laid out is for, for most people, it's just a simple fact that it isn't a nightmare, you know, because from, from, let's just say, you know, I'm, I'm having an interview with someone on, on the liberal side and they're, presenting the same case as you. I mean, the woman in this case would be seen as someone who's, you know, trapped in, in this, you know, mind numbing ideology, probably chained to this person who she doesn't know. Maybe they're not sexually compatible. Maybe, you know, they, you know, she hasn't had any other experiences. She's impoverished both physically and mentally by the lack of, um, um, yeah, essentially experience, you know, her, um, her portfolio does not contain all the colors of the rainbow in terms of sexuality. Uh, who knows? You know, maybe they're just like doing missionary every Thursday, and you know, that's that's what <laughs> that's what she thinks is is the height of sexual right. experience. And what does she know? Poor woman. You know, she's been barred from 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 whatever um, <laughs> whatever heaven is to to this you know hypothetical other guest that I might be talking to. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, just just the simple fact that this isn't some hellish existence, that that it can be beautiful and that it can be normal and that it can be accessible. Like like you said, you know, we didn't have a choice. 
I mean, I don't know. This this is a whole discussion, you know, especially kind of on the dissident right, you know, that, you know, women should be virgins. And I'm like, yes, in a vacuum, you know, and then like a bubble in space. And, you know, I'm sure if, if people can choose to, to, to date a virgin woman nowadays, you know, more power to you. But it, it just might be hard just in the sense that the culture that we've been marinating in for over 50 years, this, the shit that's coming from, from the U.S. especially, because that's, you know, that's, you know, talking about sex in the city. This is the stuff that we grew up on, you know, even friends, even all this idea that they're all kind of dating each other. And it's like all this kind of incestuous stuff. It's, it's you know, this is all in a U.S. import. Um, it's, sorry, you know, it's sorry it, about that. Apologies. <laughs> Not directly your fault, but yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Peachy. Finally, someone someone apologizes. Uh, but yeah, it's uh it's 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 all been very convincing. And it's obviously very high status. You know, we want it to be like these people. We want it to be like whatever Dawson's Creek, you know, that was the ideal uh teenage experience that we that we had, especially when I was growing up. So we kind of enacted the the patterns that you saw there. You know, you'd at high school, oh, you, you couldn't leave high school a virgin. You know what's what's going? Are you are you sick or something? You know it, it means that you're you're not doing you're not doing well with the opposite sex if you're just, I don't know, a wallflower or, you know, it's it's just uh it's just very, yeah. I mean these these like you said, you know, these were pa- patterns laid out in front of us, and essentially the people who were more socially successful, the people who you know or were more high status in the groups, were doing this stuff more than the people, you know, you were essentially a loser if you couldn't get with the program, if you couldn't have a boyfriend in high school or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite, yeah. I, I mean, I do, I do know that it is possible, but it didn't, didn't really feel like it when I was growing up. Yeah. I think America owes the rest of the world reparations for the, uh, the cultural wreckage. We've like destroyed, you know, traditional European, uh, Christianity and <laughs> re- and it across the globe. What's that? It was real easy. Yeah. I mean, you had like a, a highly kind of Orthodox Christian society, mm-hmm. literally girl yassified <laughs> in 20 years. It's, it's incredibly potent, the stuff that yeah. you're putting out. Yeah. I mean, it's like the line in the Big Lebowski, you know, why, why the, why uh, Fawn Knutson, the farm girl from Minnesota, turned into the porn star Bunny Lebowski in the movie? Because you can't keep him down on the farm once they've seen Carl Hungus, you know, the, the porn star. Um, yeah, once you've introduced it, you know, we had Beverly Hills 90210. I don't know if they had that in Romania. We did, we um, did. <laughs> you know, if you're not in your uh, BMW 3 Series convertible, like what even are you doing? You know, hanging out the peach pit, like mooning over all the boys and dating everyone, <laughs> which is sort of like the, that's the, it was the gateway drug to, to sex in the city and all the other shows. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, the, the cultural poison is, it's pathetic. So we have to, we're just going to, we're going to start over. We have to just start over. Yeah. And this is also in your book, because now I, I see mainstream American culture destroys families at home and abroad, I have to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe my sequel will be what, you know, how to take back, how Europeans can take back their, <laughs> their cultures and their families. I mean, I think the subtitle of my book is, you know, take back your, re- reclaim your identity, your femininity, your family and your country, you know, from the clutches of, you know, quote, our sacred democracy <laughs> and which, you know, our sacred democracy, that's just the nice, pretty name they put on it. But what it really means is a trans flag on every embassy. 
you know, every foreign embassy. That's that's all it means. And there's a drag queen in every school. We're funding them abroad. I think right there, the State Department was funding Ecuadorian schools to have drag queen parties in their schools. Um, <laughs> you have to, re- so my, my whole thesis is really like, this culture has done nothing for you. It's taken everything from us. And the all, our only solution is to just reject it, you know, in mass collectively, just reject it and, you know, show, you know, show them, the, show them how it feels for once, you know, like r- r- take ourselves and our children out of it. And I mean, what are they going to do then? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I know that, you know, there's like the, the, I, I just want to grill meme and a lot of people just take <laughs> that as a call for inaction. But what I really think it means is kind of what you're describing. It's the idea that um, to be able to be left alone to grill, you kind of have to carve out your own niche. And sometimes ideology is the gateway to do that. And I know, I mean, you know, some people have a strange relationship to ideology. Uh, you know, it's like if something is is um, emerging from ideology, it's it's it's, it's tainted because your your mind is a little bit warped or something. But ideology can also be kind of the, the answer, kind of the, the the formalization of an answer to whatever is wrong with where you are. It's just a it's just kind of explaining. It's a framework to live in to make sense to you, to yourself, to the people around you and to the people that you want to coordinate with, because, you know, we're, we're speaking about this stuff, you're on a different continent, but we know what we're talking about because we kind of subscribe to the same ideology. I mean, I, I, I can sign the domestic experience manifesto myself. I think this is very good. Uh, I agree. Uh, But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, ideology is the medium by which we coordinate to have these ideas, to talk about the stuff, to develop it. So, you know, I don't know what's what's your relationship to to the word ideology to the fact that you are being ideological as you describe this stuff. Oh my gosh! I I just think I mean you know what came first the ideology or just the like the sort of innate um, inborn uh, calling to a certain lifestyle or to a certain politics. Like I don't think you know I do think that like. Um, people say like, well, does the, do people on the right, does being on the right make you this way? Or do people who are generally like this just sort of tend to be drawn to an ideology? So I think it's that way. I think people who just want to grill, who just want to homeschool, who just want to have eight kids, you know, um, and not, you know, give them all the vaccines on time or whatever, like that is going to naturally lead them to sort of a more cohesive ideology. For many of them, it's just very simple. It's just, it's just Christianity or, or traditional Catholicism is just, that's it. They're not really political. They're not putting it into the context of, is this Straussian? This is that they're just thinking, this is just what God wants me to do. And it's in the Bible and, um, this is natural and right. And this is what my grandmother did. And so, I mean, ideology, I I don't know. I don't really relate to being like ideological or an ideologue or even really political. I mean, it's fun. It's a fun game to play, but I think what we're talking about are just these, these really big, much bigger kind of existential human nature issues. Um, and so calling it an ideology almost minimizes it because it just feels like this is just basic human nature stuff. Like, you know, I like to joke that like all of us, every single one of us came from a long line of domestic extremists. Like you can take, you know, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, her, her abuela and her abuela's abuela were domestic extremists. You know, these were women who devoted themselves to their 
raising their children and feeding them and being good wives to their husbands. And, you know, uh, suddenly they, everyone forgot that they have this incredible ancestry backing them up. Um, yeah. And we forgot to trace our relatives back to the old country. I, you know, I can do that. They're European. I know what they were doing a hundred years ago. They were living on farms and they were, you know, milking their cows and trying to get to America. God help them. <laughs> because <laughs> the sad thing is that many of the ones who, you know, on the boats, those little shining faces looking up at the Statue of Liberty, made it to Ellis Island, you know, to the American dream. Those people's you know, great granddaughters now are like getting a, aborting their aborting their babies and um, living a life that I don't think that their ancestors would consider the American dream. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is uh, you know, it's it's a uh, it's it's the same um, the same thought that I had. I mean, it's 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 what's it's what's it's what's going on right now. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've 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 had a I had a, a, a I kind of lost my train of thought. But anyway, I think we're we're coming up on time. Um, I want to ask you the last question, the question everyone gets. This is a uh, the question of the show, and um, it is: Do you have a subversive thinker that you'd like to recommend to to our audience? Maybe someone who's underrated, or you think people should should check out. Hmm. Let's see. Hmm thinker that you should check out. Uh, have you talked, have you ever spoken to Noelle Maring? No. She has a book. She's a friend of mine. She has a book called Awake, Not Woke. Um, she's on a speaking tour now or will be in the spring of the States. She's, she's awesome. I think that our friend Helen Roy has interviewed her. Um, she, her, and she has a writing partner named Carrie Gress, who I think Helen has interviewed. Yeah. Noelle's a really, a really brilliant, um, really brilliant, really erudite person. So yeah, I would recommend Noel. Excellent. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much, Peachy. Um, I want to point people uh, towards your book. It's coming out. When is it coming out? June. June. Okay. So you can, you can pre-order it on Amazon. Yes, please pre-order it. Thank you. Excellent. And are there other places? I know you're a contributing editor at the American Mind and uh, people can check out your writing there. Is there any other place that people should uh, should look for you? Yeah, I have a new website I just launched for my book. It's called peachykeenanwrites.com. And then I just launched, and then my Twitter, at Keenan Peachy. And I just launched a, um, a Substack, um, which is which is a super fun thing for me to do. I, like I have time to do write, write more stuff, but I'm going to try. And that's at peachykeenan.substack.com. Excellent. I'll put those in the show notes. And um, I want to thank you again for coming on. This has been really, really good. Uh, a lot of wisdom shared, um, a lot of reassurance for my, uh, yeah, the, the hard days I've been through recently, you know, this too shall pass. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, yeah, thank you for, for doing what you do, for writing what you write and for being very outspoken about very things that used to be common sense until five minutes ago. So, um, and which is a good thing because not many people are. Um, yeah, we're not thank alone. You, thank you so much, Peachy. Thank you, Alex. My pleasure. If you'd like to support my work and access more content, please consider subscribing through Substack, Patreon, or PayPal. See you next week.